First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. In what has been yet another traumatic week off the field for Manchester United, we're taking a deep dive into the ongoing situation with Jadon Sancho. Harry Maguire is the butt of many jokes, but how much is too much? We'll also touch on Anthony. We'll answer your questions and look ahead to Saturday's clash with Brighton. Sit back, grab a cuppa, and enjoy the latest episode of your Stradicast. Good morning, good afternoon or evening, wherever you are. And thank you for tuning in for our latest episode. It has been yet another forgettable week for Manchester United as off-the-field incidents continue to feed the never-ending media agenda of the West. Now, Jadon Sancho will again enjoy a period of segregation from the first team as he prepares for individual sessions and a lack of senior game time. Now, in the last couple of hours, we've also learned that this all came to be following a refusal to apologize to Eric Ten Hag for his social media exploits. Now, if whatever reason you're bemused by this, we have already covered this in great detail in last week's episode. So get your backsides over there when you've finished listening up here. Now, Mr. Sancho, at 23 years of age, I mean, really and truly, we should be celebrating the performances of an exceptionally talented player. Instead... All we do is read columns about a lack of professionalism, a lack of attention and desire in training, and we witness subpar performances on the field. As we've all read, this is a guy who seemingly wants to enjoy his football and he wants to give his all for the badge. Now, like any other player, I will support him at the club, but he's not doing a massive pile to endear himself to the Old Trafford faithful. I can't help but feel that the U.S. trip, regardless of whether or not he was permitted to go, is something that he could have done without. And for me, the wider picture has to extend to the individuals that he surrounds himself with. I'm speaking about his PR team, his support channels. And in all honesty, I can't understand how these people are allowing him to make these decisions. Now, given what we know, there's surely no way back from it this club, Dale, is there? No, I don't think so, Sean. I think if you behave like this in a certain manner, it's like in a short profile, we're talking about a player that's been at the club had a horrible two years, um, over 300,000 a week, one of the highest earners. And he doesn't want to take any responsibility, clearly. He won't apologise to the manager for his, his his statement. And even, to be honest, let's face it, we've all... We've all been that age and done stupid things and work and spoken to bosses that were higher up to us in a certain way. Um, we weren't playing for Manchester United either, but it can be a learning curve too and you can kind of take the slap on the wrist and, and say sorry, but Sancho was reluctant to do that. He's, he doesn't want to, to build the bridge by any means. Um, he looks like a player that doesn't want to be at the club um, and I would think that Ten Hag's feelings on it are quite mutual. And it's so strange because we're, we're looking at a guy, as I said, he's, what, he's 23 years old and he's come to the club off the back of a couple of absolutely stellar seasons, which really raised his credibility and his profile in Europe as high as any other winger. Now, one man that I know wasn't as sold on it from the get-go happens to be in this room right now. Brian, 
what was it about Sancho from the get-go that brought you to a situation where you didn't really think he was going to cut the grade in Manchester? <laughs> Half a gut feeling. Some of the stuff at City when he was younger, some of the Dortmund stuff that came out, he just doesn't strike me as a guy that has a stomach for it. Um, since he's joined United two years ago, he's kind of taken a bit of a Memphis Depay curve where he's come in, highly rated, looks really good. He's a trendy, social media-loving kind of a guy who's now hit the big time on the big bucks and basically thought, I've made it. I'm Jaden Sancho. I'm on 300000 a week. I should be playing. I'm this good. I'm that. I'm whatever. Unfortunately for Jaden Sancho, he's come a cropper against Mr. Eric Ten Hag, who has made it very clear from the outset, bald is best and bald is boss. My way or the highway. Simple as that. And unfortunately for Mr. Sancho, it looks like he's going to spend some time on the sidelines, which could be a permanent departure from the first team from Manchester United. And in January, he could be looking for pastures new. Um, as you said, Sean, we try our best to support every player that plays for the team and while they're still with us, we do our best to give them that support. But you have to be, it has to come two ways. The support has to be earned as well. I mean, there has to be a bit of a respect back towards the fans of the club and the staff and his manager as much as getting the respect back from us. So would I be terribly sad to see him leave if he was to leave tomorrow morning? No. Would I be upset to see him leave in January if he turns things around? Well, it remains to be seen. I don't think he's going to get the chance. I think Tin Hag has set out his station and just said, if you're not up for it, you're not for me. As simple as that. I mean, how pathetically small-minded and childish can you be not to apologise to someone superior, or not superior, you're superior in work levels, someone that basically holds your career in their hands. I mean, it's it's not the biggest thing to do just to say sorry and say, look, hold my hands up. Mightn't have been the best decision that I've ever made. Um yeah, it, it's 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 a curious one. It's another headline we don't need. It's another disruption to the first team squad that we could certainly do without. And it's become winger number three on the right side of our midfield or our, our attack, who is now either not with the club because they're on loan or is currently sat in the sidelines for disciplinary or criminal investigation issues, which is a whole other story in itself. Just to draw up another bigger issue, and it's something again we, we did touch on in episodes last week, was is player power. And Ten Hag just cannot buy into this. He can't let Sancho come back into the dressing room. And it's certainly not unless he apologises. But even if he does apologise, there has to be a bit of a cooling off period here for, for other players to learn that if you cross the line, that um you get a slap on the nose. You know, and it's especially in su- su- such a way because... If a manager comes out after a game, his comments, as far as the players are concerned, should be final. You know, that's his review with the game. And they, they go back to see him after training and, you know, they, they go, they analyze the game. But, but for Sancho to come out and question what Ten Hag said after the 3-1 defeat against Arsenal, if another player does that, you know, they're all looking kind of saying, what happens then? So it's, it's, a, big, it's a big episode, this one. In stark contrast, I, I'm just thinking back about players in the squad who have had potential discipline issues. Think back to last season with Marcus Rashford. Turned up late to train, I believe it was. Eric Ten Hag dropped him from the side in his pomp, playing at, playing at the best level he's been playing in quite a while. Could have, could have got the arse, could have, seen, could have seen it as a slight on him being such a great player and I'm not taking it and I'm going to fight back and I'm going to go to social media and call him this and say that. No, he apologised, kept the head down, came off the bench and scored. That's how you react. That's like to me. That's a Man United player to me. That's how you react. You don't. You don't take to social media and and call your manager a liar and and create havoc. So, I mean, it's not like he hasn't seen someone in this in the side already have a slight issue with Tin Hag in a certain way and has reacted completely differently in a in a positive fashion, exactly the kind of fashion you'd expect and want from a Man United player to take take it on board and say, right, fair enough. I'll hold my hands up. Made a mistake. Shouldn't have happened. Um, I'm going to work my way back into the team and he did it within in the next 90 minutes. So that's a good attitude to see from Marcus Rashford in comparison to Jaden Sancho's reaction. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the three of us are of a certain ilk that a very, very special man at this football club was pretty staunch that no player is bigger than the club itself. Really and truly what this stems back to for me is I cannot wrap my head around it that in this year, in this time and the people that surround the players, that 
he's not getting proper guidance from somebody to advise him that what he's doing is completely ill-advised. I mean, realistically, we know he's a very talented player. We're also aware that he's had more than one scenario at a, at three different football clubs that has, I suppose, caused his professionalism and brought that into, into disrepute. I said previously on one of the last podcasts that are we looking at a situation whereby the quality in different continental leagues has really been brought to the fore when people are coming to the Premier League and coming up against much more higher caliber defenders? I'm still not sold on that with Jadon Sancho. For me personally, I think Jadon Sancho has got an abundance of talent. I very, very much do. I think he's an amazingly talented footballer. It's just, as we all know, it's more than physical and technique and talent. You have to have the mental aspect of it too. And is he just yet another footballer who has suffered this crux of arriving at Manchester United and just walking out on that football field being a tiny little bit too much for him. Do you know, to me, it stinks of a guy who's surrounded himself with yes-men. It's, it's like he's got yeah, his, his background yeah, his background team and like his, his PR team, his, advi- his advisors, his assistants, whatever kind of a team and entourage he has. Somebody has to be pulling him aside here and saying, Jaden, wind your neck in, lad. Wind your neck in a small bit. I know you're on big bucks, but you haven't made it. You haven't proven it. You've hit the pinnacle of... of of football by joining Man United on massive money, but after that comes proving your worth and proving it over longevity. I can't see that he's got someone in the background speaking to him and pulling him aside and giving him a bit of a clip around the ear, which I'm sure players need. I mean, in, in the modern era, it's like football has changed so dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. Like it's, it's become so much more about images and like don't get me wrong we had the, the David Beckhams and the Giggsies with the fancy haircuts and, and the women throwing themselves at him and whatnot but it has become so much more of a an image thing and, a, and a, a presence on Instagram and a presence on Twitter and a presence on Facebook it's become so much more than the football and I think footballers these days can be guilty at times of forgetting about what their their core purpose is at the club and forgetting what their their job is they're like they're like they're becoming sideline movie stars in a way, and it, it, it pisses me off because at the end of the day, Man United are paying Jaden Sancho £300,000 a week to perform on the wing, create, assist and score. Not to play this little, this character that he's trying to play and, and, and woe is me and, and play up to all the rest of the bullshit. So yeah, I, I think he needs to surround himself with better people and I think he's not the only person or the only player or the first player or the last player who's going to fall a cropper of having bad advisement and bad people around them. And until people realise that they maybe need to insulate these players a bit more from, from who they're being advised by. I'm sure back in Ferguson's time, he'd have been a hell of a lot stronger on who these people, the players surround themselves with. Um, I'm sure if you, like when you read back on how Ferguson managed, man-managed players and man-managed guys who had different issues and like players who were in, had interest in alcohol and gambling and all that kind of other stuff. Like he, he knew what was going on in the background. And he made sure to immerse himself enough in that person's life to advise him on better better advisors, better people around him. Um, maybe that's not Tin Hag style. Maybe he's just a case of you turn up and you do it or you don't and you get out. But yeah, I think I think he I think he's surrounded by yes men and it's a big problem for him. Huge problem. And even just from the most simplistic point of view, surely someone should have put an arm around him a couple of weeks ago and said, monitor the situation that's going on with Anthony here. You're going to get an opportunity. It would look like coming forward. And unfortunately now it looks like he's not going to get that opportunity. And I would be very, very surprised if he can work himself back into it, given what we know about his temperament. But another man who is no stranger to regular media attention is Harry Maguire. Following another shameful week that has seen an amalgamation of would-be supporters, and a barrage of spineless journalists take aim at him. We've even seen a response from the player's mother. I took to social media earlier today to remind people that Harry Maguire is indeed a human being. I absolutely, every day, support criticism of performance and a discussion of how a player may or may not fit a team or system, as we have just done with Jaden Sancho, and I think you can do that respectfully. But I believe what's going on with Goyer is scaling far beyond that. And to be perfectly honest and not to get all high and triumphant, I find it very shameful. And especially in 2023, I'm dumbfounded that so many knowledgeable people cannot understand the harm that they could be causing with all of this. Now, as I asked earlier today, what exactly has to happen before this agenda stops? What, what, do they, what does everybody need to see? 
I think they need to see something that they don't, nobody wants to see. Um, is my brutal answer to that. Um, because I've been watching closely the last two days the Sky Sports News as I sat on the couch isolating with COVID, and their coverage of the Harry Maguire abuse stuff has just been it's been really really poor. So the, on Tuesday they spent um the day chasing golfers around the golf course asking them for their opinions on Harry Maguire. And the next day, they came close to asking a few cricket, cricket players the same thing. Um, just pointless, pointless wobble. And it got to the stage that Sky Kava, who a lot of people will follow on Twitter, had to mention it on, on air that we're actually probably doing this too much. And his family and Maguire and that won't actually appreciate this constant microscoping on such an issue. And I, I think, to be honest, Sean, it falls far beyond what people are pointing their finger at. So you have Brendan Rodgers today uh, with the common one, um, blame Manchester United fans. And you have other people then that will say, blame the pundits and blame whatever. Well, the pundits and the fans on social media, they're given this from the likes of Sky Sports News. It's on the screen constantly. People are talking about it. They're the ones creating the circus. And they're sitting there with their violins, pretending they're the ones that are are showing him sympathy. They're not. Anything but. It, 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 it's, it's so blatant to see. I know you want to get in on it as well, Brian, but um, I'm not I'm, I'm not really also sitting here kind of feeling sorry for Maguire either because ultimately against the game in question against um, Scotland, although we don't care about internationals, he came on off the bench. He got jeered by Scotland fans, which I think is fair Jews in football. Um, he had a bad performance because he can score score an own goal, and he got grief for it. And that's football. That is football, you know. And like, there's nothing that's I can change about that. Just as an aside to that, Sky Sports growing up used to be literally the source for everything. It was the honest station with real proper break and transfer news, good coverage, interesting TV shows about football. How far have they fallen off that they're chasing golfers around the golf course to try and get a soundbite about Harry Maguire while he's getting absolutely nailed it across left, right and centre? I mean, that in itself, that shows you how bad Sky have gotten. I mean, transfer window season, we don't really look towards Sky Sports for any news, do we? Because it's usually waffle. You're following the likes of David Ornstein and Fabrizio. You have me. Yeah, I have you, yeah. Um. No, it's just like it's, it shows how much Sky Sports have fallen away. I mean, again, they're, they're starting to bring on the likes of fan cameras instead of pundits. I mean, it's it's pathetic, really. But on the line of, pathetic, of stuff that's pathetic, the agenda against Harry Maguire has been growing legs and growing legs and growing legs as we go on. We know he's not succeeding at United. We know he's fallen off the planet form-wise. I'm sure we've all lost patience with him at times. But, like, he's getting crucified. I won't lie, I was, I was in the pub while England and Scotland were playing the other night. It was on in the background. I was playing pool. I wasn't particularly watching the match as such. I heard a bit of a kerfuffle and I looked up at the screen and I said, oh, Jesus Christ. Anybody, don't let this be Harry Maguire. Please don't let it be him that's after putting this in the back of the net. And there was Harry with the upset, forlorn face and I just thought, oh my God, social media is going to erupt. And like Mount Vesuvius, it did. He can't seem to catch a break, can he? No. It's just you're 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 watching, and it's almost you're you're waiting for the accident to happen. And you know something that I attribute to this massively as well. I mean, look, a player's ability at a certain level is one thing. That that's fine. And I think in a certain system, still in the Premier League, Harry Maguire can be a massive asset to to many many teams. But the response that social media has, as you said, the second that happened, you said you knew social media was going to explode. Now. For anybody to think that he's not going to read an abundance of the material that's going out there and hear an abundance of this material that's coming out on Sky Sports, how can people not think that that's going to affect not only his confidence, but his ability on the football field? It's 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 beyond a joke at this stage that people cannot put two and two together and realize that if we continue to hit this fellows with stones over and over and over again, the likelihood is... It's not going to help him. On on the note of helping, he needs to help himself, Sean. He had a, he had a window and an opportunity to get out with the limelight. 
to get out of the spotlight and, and that inferno of focus that's on Manchester United and head to West Ham to David Moyes in the summer. He said himself, the move didn't work out. We kind of all know why it didn't work out. If we're led to believe the, the rumours, he was looking for the big brown envelope to, to leave. Harry, if you're having such a terrible time in life, football's after falling off the planet for you. It's not working out. And you're turning around, putting your chest out after losing the captaincy, saying, I want to stay and fight for my place. Your place, your place is fifth choice centre back. I mean, you're, you're better than that, Harry. Like, he's a better player than that. He deserves to go away and play football somewhere. Get out of the limelight. Go to West Ham. He'll, he won't get as much crippling focus as he's going to get at United. He'll still get hammered by the English media, of course. But Or take, take the advice that I gave so long ago when we spoke about it. Why is he not heading off to the likes of Italy? A place where it's going to suit his game so much more. Do a Chris Smalling on it. Get out of England. Get out away from the media. Go to Italy. Play at a slower pace, which suits your your speed and your pace and your your style of football. Enjoy life in a nice in a nice city over there with a nicer climate, and just get on with it, man. Given the reports that we've seen there that you've just made reference to, it reads very much like a guy who was given the impression from the club that there's plenty of game time here for you. Like you saw that today, Dale, because I know we spoke about it and. He was obviously referencing that he's slightly perplexed as to why the media has taken such a stance with what they have against him. And that ultimately, West Ham was there. They had a conversation. It didn't happen. And that United and he are both confident that there's going to be ample game time for him. Do you feel like the perspective that was given to him in the background, that, you know what, Harry, if you stay around, you've got more than one opportunity to be able to actually redevelop something here despite losing the captaincy? No, not one bit. Because United's plan in the summer would have been to move him on and get in a younger centre-back that was more suited. Um, And that was the plan. The reason they couldn't do that was because Harry Maguire wouldn't move on. Um, Harry Maguire and his PR team will, will use lines like that, like, oh, that the idea was, was was there to him. Of course, it was there because Harry Maguire eventually did not move on. We we, we couldn't see past him. But United, I think Harry Maguire in, in that statement may be forgetting is that they accepted a bid for him from West Ham um, to go there. And that was it. You know, they were willing they were willing for him to go there and take the money and to get in one of those younger centre-backs. And I believe that there was two or three centre-backs that they were eyeing up. So they had players in mind to come in in situations like we're in right now because the, the scary thing is um, we're going to be talking about Brighton soon who may or may not have Evan Ferguson available but it doesn't look like we're going to have Lisandro Martinez available and we could be calling upon Harry Maguire. And instead of going out in the market and buying a young, young coming true centre-back as we looked at two or three of them we ended up with a 36-year-old Johnny Evans so that tells the story in itself, doesn't it? does indeed. It does indeed. But I suppose the main focal point that I want to look at, we're all in agreement that the player shouldn't be there. Okay. And and we understand for whatever reason happened in the background, it's easy to speculate that wanting that brown envelope was the largest thing. But regardless of all of this, surely none of it justifies the type of abuse that he's receiving. And we're getting to a point where we're now seeing a comparison with effigies being burnt to David Beckham after the World Cup. And when you're hitting that sort of a height, surely something is failing along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely, Sean. And But this is something, again, he's not the only one. You look at players that have played for Manchester United England in the past. You mentioned David Beckham. The Neville's got absolute dogs abuse as well. Paul Scholes put up with lots of shit. Um, it's, it's, it's the norm. It's what happens. Maybe players and their agencies need to be educated when you're in international coming to Manchester United. It comes with extra responsibility. You're going to get more stick from the media. The microscope is constantly on you. You'll have papers. Like, look at Anthony Martial, not even England National. The mayor were writing him off the second he got through the club, got through the door. Now, they were right in their, in their, in their piece saying, what a waste of money. But it's still not like most clubs don't get that type of um, coverage. Like, it's, you sign an exciting young player, spend big money on him. That was Spurs or Man City. They'd be saying, well done. Look, they're looking at the new thing. Manchester United, it's what a waste of money. No, it's completely different. So I think there's a bit of that as well with this, with Harry Maguire in England. But he's not the only one. David Beckham, as, as you mentioned. And, you know, through the years, maybe I'm maybe I'm biased and just looking at it from a United perspective. But 
is it not mostly Man United English internationals to get most of the, 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 the tragic treatment by the English media? Beckham, yeah, yeah. Neville's, Maguire. I mean, you don't see lads from other clubs playing for England getting as much abuse off the media. They'll get United lads have historically been absolutely murdered by the English media. It's it's horrendous. Like, I mean, like, and and the English fans, as you said, David Beckham coming back, effigies being burned. Like the treatment Beckham got backed in was beyond disgusting. It's it was to the next level of what Maguire's getting, and what Maguire's getting is is shocking as well. But Beckham got horrific treatment. Then he went out and stuck a free kick in the top corner and sent him off to the World Cup against Greece. So I suppose he shoved it back up, didn't he? He did indeed, yeah. And I suppose it's all about the character of a fella coming back. I'll never agree with what I'm seeing. I am always, always open to critiquing anybody's performances, as I said. And even after what happened at Arsenal, I pointed out that with that, the Declan Rice goal, that even though it wasn't Harry Maguire's fault, that he played his part in a number of dominoes falling over that were incorrect in that. And it's perfectly fine to do that. You can look at a player's performance. You can you can, you can can criticise a player. You can be totally disenchanted with his place at a club, but there's ways and means to do it. And I genuinely believe that there is a subsection of people throughout this community, media, fans, journalists, everything, that should really take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror. Just touching on what, what you mentioned, um, Sean, where people kind of... Know magnifying, say, one mistake in a game from yep. Maguire, not looking at the whole game. Through all of the defenses that have come out, Harry Maguire, a lot of it just being PR rubbish and cliched nonsense. But one of them that stood out to me was Aaron Ramsdale, the Arsenal goalkeeper. And he kind of was explaining that, like, look, from his perspective, he's a top, top player to play with. And you can't just look at one or two instances in the game. He said the exact same thing. He said so much happens at short 90 minutes that players on the pitch appreciate different things a lot more. Um, and it was just a in- nice insight to get after a game because, like I said, most of the stuff I felt that um, that we or that we will continue to read in the coming days with Harry Maguire, the supportive messages. I don't think all of them. I'm not saying not sincere, but they're not truly from the bottom of the heart they're all coming from media agencies and whatnot but it was refreshing to hear a footballer um talk talk like that so fair play to Sam Ramsdale does Garrick Sokin not have to have to shoulder a bit of blame here as well yeah I mean yeah let's be honest Maguire is not anywhere near first choice in the back for his team he's not playing not getting minutes he's not having a great time in football the entire world knows he's off form but yet Garrick Sokin stubbornly refuses to drop him from the English team Everyone's saying, oh, he's sticking by his men, but there's a time and a place for that. You Sometimes you have to pull a player out of the spotlight. Don't throw him into the, throw him at the Wolves and let something happen. Put him in a position where things can go wrong like the league in Scotland. I mean, there's plenty of good centre-halves, English centre-halves there that could be playing instead of him. Did he really need to play him against Scotland? Did he? Does he really need to stand by his men that much and put put the focus on him again? I think a bit of time on the sidelines for England wouldn't be the worst thing for him either, to be fair. Agree totally with you. And it's really, really highlighting the vulnerability and the insecurities that Garrett Southgate has as a manager, that despite everything that's going on in the background, as you said, he's still unable to pull away. But not focusing on England, focusing on United. And obviously when it rains, it pours. And things, as we know, will often happen in threes. Now, since we last caught up, a mutual agreement occurred between Anthony and the club, which sees the player take an extended leave of absence. Now, it's a further dig to Manchester United and one that we could all do without. As I've said previously, it's an ongoing investigation and one that we're all treating with the utmost respect. But how do you think this decision is going to affect the dressing room? Not good. Uh, I think from conversations we've had away from this topic in the past few days, we've all been hearing things and the mood inside is is, is not good at the moment. Um, speaking about the Anthony case, I don't think it's going to do it any good either, Sean. I think it's it's bad as it is, as, as, as we say. Um, this is only going to make it probably worse. It adds uncertainty about with players not knowing where when their teammate is going to return. A player that is in the starting lineup pretty much every week when he's fit. One of Eric Ten Hag's more trusted lieutenants, even if some people listen to the podcast don't believe he should be, but he is. Um, yeah, it, it, it's not good. Um, but ultimately, I think... It is good because there are there's an investigation ongoing and it's probably not something that he can be playing football and dealing with 
in the background. And we've already kind of complimented Manchester United in the past about how they suspended Mason Greenwood quickly, while other clubs like Arsenal and Man City didn't do that with their players. And this isn't a suspension. So it's not like Manchester United have to take him back. It's just leave. Um, so that's important to stress. But yeah, I think I'm hoping it can be dealt with quickly because a lot of this, Sean, is being dished out very, very public. You're getting transcripts online from Brazilian. Um, it, quite a headache to read in English when they, when they come across on Twitter from aggregator accounts and you're not getting the full context and you don't know where the source is and stuff. So I would sit tight. That would be my advice. I wouldn't be buying everything you read because just let the police deal with it. They're the ones that are going to make the decision. It's not going to be a trial by media, I hope. Play on devil's advocate for a second. Hypothetically, this finishes Anthony's career at United, if things go wrong. Yeah. You've lost Anthony, right wing. You've lost Jaden Sancho, hypothetically left wing. And you've lost Mason Greenwood, who could hypothetically play up front. Someone pointed this out to me earlier today. That's a front three that United have just lost. That could have been our front three for years to come. High profile, high talent, high wages, high figures of, of transfer fees. Baron Greenwood, obviously, but high value. It's got to have scuppered plans for the club at the moment. Like, I mean, if you're looking at building a squad, building a team, building for the future, you've just lost potentially two, almost three players who should be part of that squad for the next, what, 10 years? It's a massive hit. Like, it's a massive, massive hit on this team. And if you specifically point it over to three right-wingers, look look at the damage it's caused to the club. I mean, we've been crying out for a right-winger for years. We finally get Sancho, who's kind of a right-ish left-winger. Doesn't really work out. Mason Green was coming through. He throws his career in the toilet. We go in, sign Anthony. Anthony hasn't lit the world on fire. And now he's under criminal investigation. I mean, how, how unlucky can one club be to have three such issues happen in the same position with three high-value players? It's, it's, it's baffling. And we look at that, and if you, if you stay on that line, okay, I want to look at the, the broader picture here and the possible ramifications that could go as far as Eric Ten Hag. We don't seem to go by a week without some sort of travesty occurring off the field that's affecting all of these players that you're speaking about. Obviously, this is affecting the owners in a massive, massive way, and it's affecting the club because it's talking point after talking point after talking point. Now, given that we're four games into the league season and United have started, I suppose, underwhelmingly is probably the best way to say it, two wins, two defeats, but it's the manner of performances a lot of the way as well. With everything that's going on, and how much unwanted attention that the Glazers are getting. Are we starting to think that there's a possibility anywhere along the line that the manager might be going under the microscope from the owners and that they might take a decision in saying, how could we alleviate the spotlight that's on the club at this moment in time? And they might say, well, we get a new shiny toy and that'll give them something else to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent and offer a different perspective of it. Well, Brian, it wouldn't be a show unless we had a tangent. So fire away, my friend. Big into tangents. Um, I wrote an article for Australia News yesterday or the day before on the topic of Tin Hagen and the circus that he dealt with. Would it be out of the question to think Eric Tin Hag finally kicks the bucket and says, I've had enough of this and walks away from it? I mean, yeah. look at the hassle. He's, look at what he's walked into. He walked into a job where he's planning on coming in, reshuffling things, building a side, forging a style of football and putting Man United back on the map. We're definitely back on the map, boys. We're 100% back on the map. Because every second week we've got someone leaving the squad, someone doing an interview with TalkSport, someone jumping on Piers Piers Morgan's lap for a chat. He's had to deal with some horrific events. Many managers wouldn't, they wouldn't last, they wouldn't be able to do it. So I think it's testament to Tin Hag that he's still here fighting his battle and still putting his chest out and dealing with Sancho this week, considering he's gone through the Ronaldo situation, Lingard, Dean Henderson... Jesus, the list goes, it's Greenwood, Anthony, Sancho. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Like, he's dealing with something that he couldn't possibly have predicted when he came into the job. It has to have an effect, even on him. Let's, I mean, we talk about Harry Maguire being human. Eric Ten Hag is human. Eric Ten Hag has come in doing a job every other week. And his job has been made exponentially more difficult by outrageous issues at a club that shouldn't have these issues. I'd, I'd fear, I'd fear long-term for his position at the club or his his attitude towards his position at the club 
I don't think that was a tangent. I think that was a very well-measured couple of lines and a bit of a spiel that you put together. So bravo, sir. And no, but look, in all honesty, it was a good article that you wrote and they were valid points. And try try to imagine the situation if you had Jose Mourinho coming into that instead of Eric Sennhag. How long would Jose have lasted? You know, so these sort of things, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very valid point. I think... Joseph would probably have put Sancho out through a window at this stage, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, God. Gentlemen, shall we chat about football? Because Saturday sees the arrival of Brighton to Old Trafford for a three o'clock kickoff, pitting sixth against 11th, and Mr. Eric Chan Hag up against Roberto De Zerbe. For me, this promises to be an absolute cracker. And given the international break that we've had, just how much are we looking forward to this one, boys? Excited to get going on it. I wouldn't use the word excited. Usually I'm excited ah, or the international break. But no, I'm not really because, as you mentioned, two wins from two. You look at Brighton's form this season. They've been really, really good. They were good last season. So it comes as no surprise, but they're an impressive side. They lost two key players, Caicedo and McAllister, from last season. But... um. And the fans will have questions about some of their recruitment this summer. But look, I think that they've been able to fill holes in their squad before. Um, Evan Ferguson, if fit, is a real threat for us, um, especially with our defence. Even with our strongest defence, he would be a threat. So we need to be watchful of that. So, yeah, I'm not excited, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I think United can go and get a result because we need a big win, Sean. We need... We need something to give us a lift, um, especially on the pitch. A good performance and a win over over Brighton would would be put me over the moon. Dale, you're very cranky tonight. I'm not. I'm not fond of this now. I'm. I'm used to a, a big bubbly smiley deal. One thing you have to look at with this game as well, and it's a big part for Brighton, and it could be credible points on the day. That the uh, Julian Ciso, the the Paraguayan lad that they have, he's now got a long term injury, and he was filling that number ten void, and he was, a, I suppose an integral fulcrum to what they have. They've Sully March on the right. They've got that amazing Matoma out on the left. Evan Ferguson, who is an absolute breath of fresh air if you're a football fan at 18 years of age. And then you have Nciso pulling the strings in that number 10. Now with him missing, I think it's worthwhile touching on this, even though it's more so focusing on Brighton instead of United. But they pulled off one of the most surprising coups during the transfer win when they brought in Ansu Fati. 20-year-old superstar from Barcelona and once dubbed the heir to Lionel Messi's throne. I, I imagine we're going to see his debut at Old Trafford and it's certainly going to be a boost for the, the travelling support as well as the Brighton players to have a player of that calibre joining their ranks, isn't it? Just, you have to add in, you mentioned, you know, following on from Lionel Messi. He he won't do that though, will he though? As in, will he hit the heights of what was... He's not, he, not going to get anywhere near the heights. Not even the heights that were given of him two years ago before he had his problems with injuries because, you know, he got his international debut with, with Spain, was it two years ago, at the age of something like 17, and there was cr- mad talk about him. I think there was a release clause around him over 150 million or something ridiculous. Any club would have signed him at the time because there was so much hype. But since then, Sean, he's ended up at you know Brighton, a great coup for them, a threat for us at the weekend if he makes his debut. But will he reach any of those expectations? Is the question. Well, I actually um, I spent a bit of time looking into him during the week because I, I did a piece for uh, a publication on it, and obviously when when he broke through at 16 years of age. He set all sorts of records. Like he was the second youngest ever uh, debutant for Barcelona. He was the youngest ever goal scorer, youngest ever goal scorer in La Liga, youngest ever goal scorer in the Champions League. But one of the really interesting things that happened here, because it's something that's that's obviously relevant to myself, he picked up a knock against Real Betis. And they thought it was something small, but what he actually did was he tore his meniscus in his knee. And he went away and he got surgery. The specialists that were taking care of him advised Barcelona that during his recovery, he should only take one conditioning period while he's recovering. The Barcelona medical uh, team, they negated that and they put him on two sessions per day, which inadvertently ended up with him getting three more surgeries on his knee. So he ended up missing nine months of football when the expectation was he was only going to miss two, two and a half months from the offset. So Barcelona trying to rush him back, actually potentially giving him an injury that could affect him for the rest of his career. As to whether or not he's going to hit the heights of what everybody said, like Samuel Leto was very, very more than saying this fella, hopefully, if he's taken care of, can go on and can take over the reins from Messi. But I don't know, can anybody take over the reins from Messi? 
I suppose from a footballing perspective, it's what you want to see. And it's you want to see these players, particularly coming to Old Trafford. And I would assume we'll see him make his debut. But another person that could really hit the, the spotlight during this game is Facundo Palestri. And Palestri now has an opportunity in what has occurred with Jaden Sancho, with Anthony, to be able to get an opportunity on the right wing. But are we going to see Ten Hag turn tail and put Bruno out in the right wing? I very much hope not. Um, I can't stand when Bruno plays out in the right. Totally nullifies his effect on the game. It's not where he plays best. Not where he's the best. best. Um, his best games, he just doesn't seem to impact games that well from the right. He, he buzzes off of playing that kind of a loose role in the 10, flying around, picking up the ball, popping passes around the place. I think Pellistri has to get his turn. I, say, I said this about Alvaro Fernandez, and they kicked him out the door the following week, so hard to know. I'll probably jinx him, but um, I like Pellistri. I like I like what I've seen of him. I like what he the kind of style of play he gives. But make no mistake about it, Brighton Brighton are a well-oiled machine, boys. Brighton are a very, very, very impressive football club, and it's it takes a lot for me to say that about another football club because I've a terrible amount of dislike in my heart for every other football club outside of United. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm impressed by Brighton. Brighton kind of in the last few years have come out of nowhere. They've really, really built a good reputation for themselves, a lovely style of football. They've accumulated some fantastic footballers who they didn't sell, cash in. Then they accumulate some more fantastic footballers, keep them and then sell them, and then they accumulate some more. Brighton's scouting department must be worth billions. They're coming to. Sorry. sorry, sorry. I was just going to say it's, it's, it's almost like if you install a proper footballing strategy that everything imagine, falls into place at a football club. Imagine what can happen if you have the foresight to have good people, football people in football positions. Mind-blowing, really, to see the effect of it. Um, I'm with Dale on this one. I'm not terribly excited about the game. We haven't played very well. We've had another load of messy issues to deal with. Our team is struggling for form. Our back four isn't settled. Um, I wouldn't be terribly excited, no, and I wouldn't expect us to go out and hammer them by any means. I think it's going to be a very tough game. I think we're going to have to be at 100% effort and 100% focus to get a good result, a positive result out of this one. Brighton are a really, really decent side who are very well capable of coming to Old Trafford, turning us over. So, And I'm sure Tin Hag is concerned about this because... He'll have been keeping tracks of how Brighton are playing. Brighton are exciting to watch. Matoma is a, he's a live wire. If he gets going and he gets a bit of pump up, he could tear one sack of pieces. So it's one to be careful of. I'd be very happy if we were talking next week about this and we're after nicking a 1-0 win or a 2-1 win, even though it's a home game against Brighton, which on paper you think we should be massive favourites for. We're not. We're not massive favourites. We're playing, playing very poor football. We've had a very poor start to the season. Um, get it out the way. Try start, start just build on it. Just start building on it again. Just start getting something concrete down. Get some some bit of semblance of style of football back to us. Try and do the best we can. What we have available to us, player wise, we're after losing one or two again. And and let's let's get on a march for the next the next stage of the, the fixtures coming towards us. Especially with a a very exciting trip to. Munich on Tuesday or sorry Wednesday absolutely and you speak about losing a couple of players but we also see the introduction of Safi and Amrabat and he's going to offer an entire new dynamic in this midfield we could very well see a duo of Casemiro and Amrabat against Brighton and that will go a long way to alleviating the fluidity that the Zerbe would like to bring with his Brighton side Dale are you looking forward to seeing Safi and at the very least playing oh absolutely if he's fit I can't even get excited about that yet um, and when Ten Hag says that, yeah, he's in the squad, I'd be very excited. Of course, look, this is a player that really, Sean, we should have got in early on in the transfer in the work. Ten Hag wanted a player like this and didn't get one until now. And I think we lacked for that in the opening games of the season. So to have a player like that available is a big boost. Um, right now, we have a few holes in the team. So it's not just Amrabat coming in being the the answer to all of our problems. But we also have Rasmus Hyland ready to get his first start for the club, which I'm excited about. And it's hard not to be excited about him at the moment because even when he's not scoring goals or holding up play, he's shouting into microphones. And I love a bit of that, like all for a bit of shouting into microphones and claiming your qualification for Euros, even though 
you don't. Um, but yeah, look, I'm looking forward to football being back the weekend and these internationals being over and the shit show surrounding Harry Maguire being over as well. Hopefully he's not on the pitch and isn't the fucking another chapter to talk about next week. I'm not one known for hammering the Glazers for anything. <laughs> but Sofian Amrabat would be perfectly fit and would be perfectly ready to play football if they had pulled the trigger two and a half months ago rather than leaving him stand outside in the cold with a signpost saying, please, please sign me. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm literally waiting for you. You're the only one for me. I love you. Come get me. But no, we left it in the last couple of days. He got no preseason. He could have joined the squad. He was left out with fucking pneumonia and couldn't get in. Yeah, literally. Outside shivering in the cold and just got pneumonia, yeah. Like he could have had a preseason or some bit of a preseason with the club. Could have got used to his surroundings, the players he's going to play with. Could have got some match fitness going. But yet, instead, we cast him aside and left him stand there like a pleb waiting to be signed. When we knew he was going nowhere else, he literally put it out and said, like, I'm going to Man United or nowhere. But no, our fantastic, beautiful owners and those who lie just below them decided we won't pull the trigger on this one until it's too late and the lad misses a few games and there's no match fitness. And now we're going to expect him to come in against Brighton, a lovely, exciting, high-energy, high high-tempo football team and come in and become, I don't know, what, Pirlo or something? Like... I don't know. It's 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 it just always seems to be the same way with United. Like it really pisses me off that we're always in a situation where we're hoping this player comes in and has has an effect on the side, but we don't give the fella the chance to build his 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 repertoire in training or or build up his his impact in the squad before we just throw him into the side and go here, be amazing, be brilliant. Jesus, like is there anyone planning in this club at all for for next week or the week after? Not the mind tomorrow. No. That was a bit of a tangent, okay? Why don't you tell us what you really think? But unlike you two miserable gits, I am looking forward to football being back. I am looking forward to seeing Rasmus Hoyland lead the line. I'm looking forward to seeing Rashford and Casemiro and Safian Amrabat. I'm just looking forward to football because all of this off-the-field drama, week in, week out, that we talk about that drains the soul out of every single Manchester United fan takes away from the one fundamental fact that this is a football club. And it's supposed to be about enjoying football. And despite all of the negatives that have gone on thus far, I'm going to hold a glimmer of hope in my body that we're going to have an entertaining game of football. And that after 90 minutes of play, we have got past Brighton, another win on the board, and hopefully have something positive to talk about. I can't wait to be on this podcast next week after we do Brighton. And I fall out of the way in, in the Allianz Arena after we turn Bayern Munich over 3-0 get proven completely wrong. The team is completely fine. Everything's rosy in the garden and we're back. It's coming. Could it be very similar to that game against Liverpool last year when everything seemed to be going against us and all of a sudden we turned in this fantastic performance and I believe Jaden Sancho actually scored on that day, didn't he? I thought that was actually, <laughs> I thought that was a sly dig to my steward issues at Enfield last season, but go on, continue. No, I would never do that. Now, as we're all aware and as we discuss, this is nothing without fans and it's a podcast that is mentioned for the fans. We always appreciate any feedback we get. And it has been fantastic with the course of this new season. I suppose all of the lovely comments, the words, the emails, the voice memos, everything. We appreciate you all. And we are determined to make sure that we will allow questions to come through and that we can engage with you on a weekly basis. So before I enter into these, just make sure that you continue sending through your questions week after week and we will get to them. We will read them out. I'm going to start off with one here for Dale. And it came from the United Road on Twitter. They've asked on a scale of one to one thousand, how many sub goalies do United need? Um, look, that's new Turkish guy. I know absolutely nothing about him. If he's of the same profile as Onana, I guess I'm happy. If he's not, we still need another goalkeeper. Um, because you can't buy in a goalkeeper like Onana and set your stall out and say you want to play this way, except that he's going to be possibly gone for a month for the African Cup of Nations and then drastically hit a wall and say, oh no, we need to revert back to playing the other way with a different goalkeeper. That doesn't work. So I hope the Turkish guy is sufficient and will do the job. I believe he will. And we're just going to have to wait and see. Yet again, another case of why does everything go wrong for United? We sign Andre Onana, big money, best keeper you can ever possibly sign, blah, blah. <laughs> 
He doesn't play international football, which is absolutely amazing. Comes in the door and goes, Cameroon, I'm back, baby. I am back. And takes off to the AFCON. Windmillness. Great, like Jesus Christ almighty. Turkish lad, I don't know nothing about him apart from the fact he's about seven foot two and about four stone weight. Doesn't inspire me with massive confidence, I won't lie, when you're pl- plucking a fella who was a first team keeper to come in and sit on the bench. But now it turns out that we need him because Onana's going to go off on his holidays and play football. I mean, does it ever end? Does it ever end? Stay where you are, Brian, and keep that passion that you have, okay? Because Damien Young has a question for you. He wants to know, would you consider Ten Hag to hold the power like Sir Alex Ferguson in swinging the axe? He's, sw- he's swinging something around the dressing room. It must be an axe. I don't know what he's swinging, but it's big, it's big and it's authoritative. Um, he's definitely shown that he has the mental fortitude and the strength to set out his stall and say, I'm the manager. You either like it or lump it. I mean, we, t- we touched on it earlier in the podcast. It seems to be, it's Tin Hag's way or no way. And I like that. I do like that. The only, I mean, as Dale said earlier, no, or, or, or sorry, Sean, you might have said it. There was a time when Ferguson said no players bigger than the club and he moved on players, including players that I absolutely idolised as a young lad, which broke my heart at the time. But they were the right decision. And again, I haven't seen, or I don't see Tin Hag making the wrong decision around specifically the Jaden Sancho issue. I mean, that's the highlight of the week this week where he's 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 literally just put out put out his chest and said, Yeah, it's me. It's it's my way or not. And I like that. We've needed it for a while. We've needed a manager with that kind of strength, but a strength to do it in a way that I find positive. You mentioned Jose Mourinho earlier. I mean Mourinho would be of a similar ilk in the way that it's Jose's way or no way. But Jose is so he causes so much fracture by what he does and what he says and how he deals with things and the way he speaks about it and what he says in the media. And Ten Hag is different. Ten Hag seems to be more, he seems to be more five out of 10 when it comes to like energy towards getting excited about slagging a fella off or, or nailing him to a cross. He's just literally sitting there, very measured, very calculated. This is what's happening. This is why it's happened. We move on. I remember I had read something in recent weeks about Ten Hag where somebody was suggesting that he's very, very, like he's like an introvert. And that obviously when, when, when he's going to the grounds and when he's going to training, when he's going to the football games, he, he breeds his systematic style of play and he has his approach that it's his way or it's no other way. Now, obviously there's pros and cons to that, but I genuinely buy into that. I think this fella goes home thinks about football, talks about football, comes to work and obviously rinses and repeats. Given everything that you've touched upon in your article yesterday and what you brought up earlier on about the amount that he has inherited with regards to everything, he has to maybe have that sort of introverted caliber where he can kind of say, look, we're spending X amount of money on a footballer. We want him to succeed. If he's not going to succeed and he's not going to buy into what we're doing and he's going to be a negative presence inside in the dressing room, then he's not going to be in the dressing room because he's going to affect everything we're trying to build. And if it doesn't work with him, it'll work with somebody else. Stick with me, Sean, I have another question for you. From Dave right. Cleaver. What are your thoughts on McTominay as a more forward midfielder, eight or 10, as we've seen him play for his country? I tell you, I, I watched this fellow playing for his country and it is just, it's a breath of fresh air. You, you can tell he's truly enjoying himself and what he's doing. You know, and that's that's the first thing that I see with it. He's going out on the football field. He's, he is playing for the badge. He is playing for the country. He's playing for the shirt. And he truly enjoys himself. Also, I don't think it is as far-fetched as it would seem to say he's one of the most naturally gifted strikers of a football that we have at the club. He hits the football very, very clean. And it's almost like I'd liken it to, we'll say, a snooker player. Because when you get down to the, the table in snooker, prior to actually the players bending over to take the shot, they have to visualize what they're going to do. And when they have that visualized, then they get into the motion of getting down and, and, and taking the shot. I think McTominay is very, very intelligent with his movement and his positional play in, in, in taking on the football and striking the ball. He knows two or three strides before he gets there what's going to happen and what he's going to do. And I think having that awareness about him is fantastic. I don't think it's enough for me to really buy into the idea that he's been misprofiled at the football club and that we've we've missed a beat with him because ultimately I think he's limited in what he can do in that particular aspect. But him playing for, for, for Scotland is that in that more extended role. It's fantastic. I think it's brilliant. I love seeing him in that advanced role. And as I've said for a very, very long time, 
not every single player in the squad has to be world-class. You need certain players that are utility players and versatile players. And he can very much achieve that in a defensive aspect as well as in an 8 or a 10, I think. Scott McTominay is one of the greatest footballers to grace a football pitch of all time. And completely misunderstood. <laughs> There's an agenda against him. He an imposter. He should be... He should not only be our leading player, he should be our captain eventually. I'm Scott McTominay to the core. Nah, look, joking aside, Scott McTominay, top leading, or sorry, joint leading top scorer in the Euros. I believe so, yeah. Six goals for Scotland. Um, Scotland scoring six goals is, is as surprising as Scott McTominay being the joint top scorer. <laughs> You're right, he's got, he does have a fantastic strike of football. He's, he's very, very good when he gets forward. But he's been hamstrung through the years by being labelled in the McFred midfield which was a dysfunctional midfield for the best part of the time. He was played more as a deep-line midfielder, which I don't believe is his game, as we're seeing. He definitely could do a hell of a lot better playing in a more advanced midfield position. I just don't think he's going to get that chance at United. And I don't think, as much as I love the fella, and I love his passion and keeps the head down, there's no social media bullshits following him. He's a really, really good professional lad. I just don't think he's going to cut it and push any of our more attacking central midfielders out of the side. But I do think that if he does happen to leave the club, he will show and showcase his talents and be a very successful footballer outside of Old Trafford. But again, like you said, it doesn't always have to be world-class footballers in every squad. We've gone through our Phil Levels and our John O'Shea's and our Jason Parks and Darren Fletcher's. There's been many players come through the ranks that we've needed to call upon at times for specific roles, specific games covering for injuries and that. I still think he's a valuable squad member to keep. He hasn't seen much football under Ten Hag this season so far, but I'd, um, I dare say he will see some minutes shortly and I think he'll prove some people wrong. I don't, I don't I, think he's been misprofiled by any means, but you talk about the McFred character chapter as well. Like th- These are arguably going to be periods of McTominay's career when he looks back as the highlights when he was playing for Manchester United in midfield. And I don't think he's going to be thinking, oh, that club shoehorned me and stopped me from becoming the next Frank Lampard or Paul Scholes or what some people might say, Steven Gerrard. Um, I don't I don't think it's it's like that at all. I think he's going to be quite happy with what he's done at Manchester United. He's made a lot of appearances for his boyhood club, a club that I firmly believe that if he wasn't playing for Manchester United, that he'd be in the stands every weekend. And I think that that's something about it that I really love, that he has played for the club and that he's represented us in big moments. And, and that goal before COVID when he scored against City, you know, moments like that, just absolutely fantastic, which we could only, we all grew up dreaming about. But yeah, I, I think, look, I don't think he really cost the mustard. He's limited. This season, he's going to get his minutes when... When we've injuries in the squad, really. I don't. I think Ten Hag has already shown in the early stage of this season that even when he should be calling upon him, he doesn't really want to. Um, and that might tell a story or two about McTominay's body language at the moment. I'm glad you mentioned the game before COVID because I still have the scars on my shins after he scored that one. And we must also remember, because it wasn't so long ago, that when Casemiro arrived at the club, McTominay had a purple vein of form where many people were saying, this man right here is keeping Casemiro out of the side and he has earned the right to do so. And I was one of them and I'll stand by it. And I was in the stands at Southampton when Casemiro finally came on and stole McTominay's role in the team, which wounded <laughs> me for a long time. <laughs> and on that, it is another week down, done and dusted. We appreciate you all listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so. Twitter is generally the easiest way to do so. And if you want to catch me, it is at Sean Connolly 85. Brian, how can people get in touch with you? As I always say, I prefer if they didn't. But if they do, it's at Day Tripping Red. He doesn't mean that. He wants you to contact him. He likes talking to you all. He, he thinks you're wonderful people. And last but not least... The man behind it all, Dale, how can I catch you? You can follow me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale and also make sure you're subscribed to Stratticast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Acast. And on those platforms too, please make sure to leave a good review because that goes a long way to getting those new listeners and broadening our base of um, people that tune into the Stratticast every week. So thanks to those who gave feedback last week as well. We hope you're enjoying the podcast and we continue to do. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.